Theatrical Shenanigans with Rachel Bertram and Brendan Powers. Hello there and welcome to episode 8 of our second season of Theatrical Shenanigans. We are almost at the end of this season but we still have plenty more entertainment in the form of plays and guests to come and today is no exception to that. But before I introduce my guest for this week, I want to take a moment and thank all of you who submitted your audio plays for season three of Theatrical Shenanigans. Believe me, the show couldn't take place without you, and I'm thrilled that the selection of the ten plays for season three has been made, and it's been announced on our Facebook page. So if you're curious about what awaits you next season, then go and check it out there. But for now, we move on to our latest play and our latest guests. This week I am being entirely spoilt because I have not one amazing guest but two. As just one of their projects they make up the wonderful hosts of the Tiny Theatre Productions which was founded in the pandemic and saw plays being broadcast from their home to yours. Not only do they make a brilliant twosome but they've had amazing careers in the world of theatre and film including appearances in series on Netflix and Disney Plus and now they have humbled me by joining me on theatrical shenanigans they are rachel bertram and brendan powers welcome guys Rachel. we're so happy to be here with you <laughs> so as i said to start with you both have had incredible careers outside of hosting uh, tiny theater how did you both get started on your paths as it were well i started theater in 10th grade and really have been it's been my focus pretty much ever since i've had stints teaching um and some you know other outside jobs but all the while I was always still pursuing theater whether I lived in New York for a bit and then I was in New England and then we've been in Florida for a long time and now we find ourselves in Alabama but for 25 years I've been yeah a member of the actors union and and have spent most of that time uh pursuing the beast (laughs) (laughs) I don't think uh, I've never heard anyone call it that before Oh, yeah. Pursuing, yeah. Pursuing the beast, which it really is. We often say that we feel like we're two explorers in the jungle and we're both trying mm. to track down this elusive beast. And we said, hey, let's join forces and maybe we'll find it together. <laughs> and sometimes we get very close. Sometimes we grab it. And then, you know, so it's been an interesting journey. But yeah, I've done it for, for pretty much my whole life. It's been my my focus. And Rachel, what about you? Uh, so, you know, similar. I danced when I was a, a young girl and could not imagine myself speaking in front of audiences. Mm-hmm. And then my family moved when I was in high school and I found myself with an amazing theater teacher who encouraged me to audition for things. She was my English teacher, but also in charge mm-hmm. of the drama program at school. And uh, and so shortly after that, I did indeed audition and I caught the bug, as it were, mm-hmm. and um, and yeah, I went to college for theater. And even though I've pursued, you know, on screen work, on camera work, uh, I just love live theater. There's nothing like it. And um, and yeah, here we are. Like you say, uh, I think I've been in the union for about twenty three years, and um, yeah, we just keep we just keep at it. You know, mm-hmm. doing shows all around the United States here. I lived in New York as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but we love regional theater here in the US. Um, and so we find ourselves in different parts of the country often. And uh, it's a wonderful way to live, you know, mm-hmm. meeting the best people in the world. It's, a, it's just, you read through the list of the, the projects you guys have been involved in and it's it's fascinating and exhausting all at the same time. <laughs> Yeah, on our end too. 
yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you, uh, Rachel, you said it yourself, you've worn many different hats uh, in your career. Do you have a, a favorite, a favorite hat, as it were? Well, you know, it's the hat of the day is always the uh, favorite, you know. Mm. Um, right now, I find myself um, on a, a I'm on a peer panel to review grants for the state of Alabama for the Arts Council here. Mm. And I'm looking through, you know, all this amazing work that these not for profit organizations are doing and um, and looking for support for administrative programs and. Uh, and I find because I'm sort of immersed in this right now, it makes me keenly aware of all of the administrative hats that I've worn mm -hmm. and how much joy that brings of providing opportunity for other artists in that way. Mm -hmm. I love that. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, when I'm reading a play on Wednesday nights, that's the hat of choice then. And I mm -hmm. love being an actor and I can't imagine doing something else, you know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's sort of the way my brain works. <laughs> But Brendan, your career obviously puts you firmly in the acting side of things. Do you have a preference over kind of the genres you prefer to be involved in or screen versus stage or that kind of thing? Or is it just as the same with Rachel? It's the hat of the day. Kind of is the hat of the day. I do a little more. I do creative writing. So it's funny. Just before we picked up, I do a lot of caption contests, caption mm. writing. Uh, for my birthday, like 12 years ago or something, Rachel got me a subscription to The New Yorker. You know, The New Yorker magazine <laughs> you know, has this celebrated caption contest thing that's, you know, that's pretty popular, you know? Mm. And uh, and so I started to do it and I won it a oh. few weeks later. And I was like, oh, and so I've just, that's sort of something I do when I'm not acting. I like to do creative writing, whether it's playwriting or whatever, but but caption contest writing is something I, I just do a lot. Um, but I've, you know, it's funny as far as what genre of performance it really depends. I mean, we've had we've had the good fortune of really doing a wide spectrum of work. Mm. We were, we're we're company members at a regional theater in Florida, which has been a real gift because you know you're sort of built into a into a system where you're you're working consistently with fellow team members on all sorts of shows. So we've mm. had a lot of variety. So I don't know. I I I don't know. I mean, I I kind of enjoy the comedies more than. I mean, I think I inherently enjoy the comedies more. I think I just have more fun with comedies. But it's always great when the tiny theater plays come in and they're, you know, some of these are very serious uh, topics mm -hmm. or serious situations. Um, either one is either one is fun. I think once you drop in, once you drop in and you're committed to it, it really doesn't matter what it is because you're in full. You're in for mm -hmm. it. You're in full, full throttle. And, uh, and you just go with it. I just wish I was a better dancer. Then I'd be doing musicals. <laughs> but I'm just not a dancer and I never will be. So it's like, oh, well. So right now there am I. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've yeah. tried. I really have. I just like no, no. It's just can, not going to happen. There's just no. something not going to happen. So okay, that's fine. <laughs> but then of course you both you came together and produced the fabulousness that is Tiny Theatre. How did that? What what mind mind frame came to, came resulted in that? Well, we always preface it by saying one of the the last when you put two creatives in a lockdown. <laughs> Like that's a dangerous mix because mm. it's like we were sheltering in place at our home in Florida. And this was in March of 2020, mm. you know, with no idea how long we were going to shelter in place and how, you know, what this whole thing was going to be. 
we were one day away from opening a show at the Florida oh. Repertory Theater. We were before we were ready to do Dollhouse Part Two. We were one day away from kicking mm. it off, and suddenly it was like, okay, we're not going to do that. So we had all of this energy built up inside, ready to go deliver, mm. and we had to come home and sort of sit. And it only took about an hour for Rachel to say, this isn't going to work. So you had an inspiration, I guess. Well, I just couldn't bear the thought of someone giving me a green light to do what it is we all do, which Mm. is play, you know? And I, I just, I just thought this is not going to be good for me for not knowing how long this will last no. so fairly quickly as you said a I mean, a couple days yeah. I began sending emails to playwriting friends um, and just because due to the nature of our career we have an interesting network of folks you know mm. that we're friends with mm. and so I said do you have any work you know sort of sitting in a drawer that you would like to revisit or that you would give me permission to read, you know, Mm. online. And suddenly people started responding in ways that I did not anticipate, Rachel. It was kind (laughs) of wild. And for full-length plays, monologues, uh, short plays, and it just sort of developed very quickly. Mm. And I thought, well, anybody can sort of sit on a couch and read a play. That would be one way to do it. But we were all looking for some kind of joy. I was looking for joy and the people that I was talking to. And so I thought, well, how can I make this whimsical and magical and fun? Mm. So I cleaned out a back bedroom closet and hung some Christmas lights and an old Ikea curtain and tiny theater sort of was born out of uh, this little tiny space. I, I remember the first time I kind of, I stumbled uh, across it and I thought, this is absolute genius. This is, this day you brought theater into a tiny little space and you've, you, I say, it, it brings entertainment and, and joy to others in what was essentially a very dark time. Okay, so possibly difficult question uh looking back on everything you've done and everything you've been a part of do you have a key moment or favorite project you work on when you look back on it now thinking yeah that's the one I ask Uh, all my guests that and they all make a face (laughs) that's a really good good question looking back across the scope of the career yeah yeah Oh, that is a really (laughs) good question. (laughs) I have a personal one and a professional one. Okay. (laughs) My personal one is in a rehearsal of uh, John Patrick Shanley's Doubt. Mm. Uh, I met Brendan Powers. Oh. And that obviously changed the trajectory of my personal life forever you know yeah um but uh and that was incredibly just a a special experience the whole way around um but uh yeah so that that's my personal one and then professionally I did an apprenticeship at Actors Theatre of Louisville which is a a Tony winning um regional theater here in the U.S. and the connections that I made during that time of my apprenticeship and and the education that I received as an apprentice um both just for the business itself and for the craft Mm. forever changed uh uh, changed my 
professional life. That's really sweet, though. There's a, there's a movie or a play in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, good. Yeah. Brendan, I mean, what about I agree, you? I agree that the doubt that 2007 was when we met uh, in that show, and I was in up in Boston, and she was in Florida, and I was just there for six weeks to do the show, you know. And so there wasn't ever any thought that, uh, you know, I, we would be having an extended relationship, you know. Mm. And circumstances were such that I came back to that theater to do a show shortly after that, after Doubt, and that we were there again together for another six weeks. And so that was really, those were the six weeks that really informative. Were those, those were the big <laughs> six weeks. And so it's like really interesting. So, yeah, I think we have our years together at Florida Repertory Theater is again, we're ensemble members there. So, I mean, we've done so much of the work we've done together has been at that venue. We've done other shows elsewhere. Um, but but uh, yeah, that that's sort of that personal. I agree with you about that fabulous thing. Professionally, I was in college and it was a summer program and you're doing it for kids, you know. So it was like mm -hmm. every morning a thousand kids would be bussed to the theater, you know, and you'd do this. And we were doing The Magician's Nephew by C.S. Lewis, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and I played Aslan. <laughs> and we were all in makeup and stuff and the whole, you know, the, the lion mane and the makeup and the whole, and it was fascinating. And for kids, you could see they were really kind of taken with it. And mm -hmm. at the end of every performance, we'd go out in the lobby and we'd stand and say goodbye to the kids. You know, they'd all be, and these are young kids. And they'd come through and they'd all, eh. and I remember this little boy, oh my God, he came down and he was, he was just sort of, he just was sort of stone-faced and he just stared, you know, and he didn't, it wasn't as he didn't look happy, but he wasn't he wasn't like animated like a lot of the kids were, you know, mm. and he came up and I said, hey, how are you? And he just kind of looked at me and I was like, did you enjoy this? And he still sort of sort of stared at me. And I thought I wasn't sure what I said. Hmm. And all of a sudden he just said, how do you do that? <laughs> oh, and I just said, oh, and, and that that and then I understood the whole his look. You know, he was yeah. just he was captivated. And he just said, how do you do that? Oh, mm. and I think those are kind of interesting moments too, when you, when you can inspire people mm. and you may, usually you never know, you never know those moments, you know? So when that comes out and you see like, wow, here's someone who's been directly affected yeah. in a way. And I often wonder like, wow, I wonder what that kid, that was 25 years ago. I wonder what that person went into. And if, and if in fact they did stay, you know, they did pursue the arts in some degree, but he mm. was clearly mesmerized by it. And and that initial moment is is really cool. So now that you know about my guest for this week, I can tell you about our wonderful playwright. Marjo Neal Butler is a resident of Miami Beach, Florida, USA. As a playwright, she has had work seen in 32 states of the USA, as well as multiple countries across the world. As well as productions, her collection of 62 plays have had numerous readings and been published. In addition to being a playwright, Marge is the regional rep for the Dramatists Guild in Florida. She is also a member of the New Play Exchange, which I have talked about numerous times on this podcast. She's also a member of Honor Roll and the International Centre for Women's Playwrights. She is also a proud member of Actors' Equity, as well as being a mother to two grown sons. So a very busy woman, I think you'll agree. Marge's play that we'll hear shortly is called Birth, Rights and Wrongs. The piece was inspired by a simple prompt of The Waiting Room, provided by a US-based competition in which it's currently a semi-finalist. The play sees Greg and Pam both in a waiting room and bonding over the fact that Greg's wife and Pam's daughter-in-law are giving birth, and they, 
for various reasons you're about to discover, are in danger of missing it. Theatrical Shenanigans presents Birthrights and Wrongs by Marge O'Neill Butler. Jeez. Oh my god. Oh god. Uh, hi. Oh, uh, sorry. Sorry, I, I, I didn't see you. You okay? Yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't stand it. She's in so much pain. I, I... It's a hard job. I know, but... I mean, all those classes. I, I didn't expect this. She's always under control... Stoic, but but this, I I I couldn't stay. I just couldn't. She'll be fine, with everyone in the room. They'll talk her through it. She's alone. I mean, there are nurses and everything, but my my mother and sister couldn't get here. Oh gosh, she'll never forgive me. She's lucky to have you. At least you tried. I did, but she'll let it all go when the baby comes. <laughs> Doubt it. Sherilyn's mother died last month and she's been counting on my mother, my sister and me. Oh, God. She yelled at me the whole time she was pushing. And it was my fault she was going through this that I wanted this baby. As I left the room, she said, I curse you, Greg. Can I get you some coffee? Thanks. No, I, I, I'm already on edge. I've never seen a live birth. Oh? Always wanted to, since forever. I used to watch one of those shows that showed a live birth every episode. Loved it. Uh, so, I, I mean, why are you here? My daughter-in-law is in labour. First grandchild. Is she close? Don't know. You'd better go in. You don't want to miss this. I'm not invited. What? That's awful. It It's such a moment. Says the man in the waiting room. I know. I'm such a wuss. But uh, her screams. I hope she never yells at me like that again. Funny. Why are you not, you know? Allowed. She's... Kind of prissy. Doesn't want me to see her private parts, as she called them. I said I could stand up near your head, but no. Who am I to talk? I ran out the minute she started screaming. Why don't you go back in? It couldn't be that bad. My gentle, sophisticated wife sounded like someone was killing her. Is it a boy or a girl? Don't know. We didn't want to find out. Got names picked out? Almost. We're still deciding. Mine's a boy. I mean, my son's having a boy. They're calling him Jackson. With an X. So silly to screw up a good name like that, but nobody asked me. I mean, why couldn't they pick a nice easy name like mine? Pam. Call your grandson 
Ham. You know what I mean. I think ours will be Sharon after her mother or Corbin if it's a boy. Nice names. I especially like Corwin. Corbin with a B. Still nice. Why don't you go back in? Give her some company. <sighs> Not if she's still in agony. Thanks for talking to me. It makes the time pass, so thanks to you, too. She's so beautiful, my wife. She's gone through so much. That's why you should be there for her. I'm afraid. I'm stinking afraid. Of what? She lost our daughter last year, around this time. Oh. I'm so sorry. Did she have a tough time with her? You first. We never really... Too difficult to talk about. So, this is supposed to be our rainbow baby. Not to take our little girl's place, but... To help us remember her. Did she have a miscarriage? No. Almost full term. The cord was wrapped around her neck and she... Couldn't breathe. Yeah. So you went through that birth, though? No, her water broke early. I was out of town on business. Couldn't get a flight, so she... Had to do it on her own. You read about these things, but... You don't think it will happen to you? That's why I wanted to support her. To be there, but... What's the real reason... You aren't in there. You go for the jugular, don't you? Oh, uh, sorry. She's punishing me. Ah, uh, you've been doing the monster-in-law thing. I didn't think she was good enough for him. Never finished college. Still owes a fortune on student loans. Now she wants to go back to school, and I'm like, who's going to look after the baby? Stuck your nose in. Big time. I should never have said anything to Bobby about how I felt. She's his wife. They talk. But you opened your mouth. It's hard sometimes. The thing is, she's smart. Just wasted a bunch of years not taking life seriously. And because I said something once, she's always assuming the worst of whatever I say. Did you get along with your mother-in-law? I, I did, yeah. She really appreciated me. The fact that I took on Sherilyn's loans when we married, then put her through school. She's a teacher now. The kids love her. Wish I'd done that. Well, not put her through school, but kept my thoughts to myself. It's not too late. I hope not. Bobby's my only... You've got some mending to do. I do. How come you took her on with her student loans and everything? It's what you do when you feel it's right. When you couldn't imagine it any other way. I think my Bobby felt that way. What if you supported her? I mean, helping with childcare or whatever. So she has something other than motherhood in her future. Your mother do that? She doesn't live that close. But she is helping, hiring a part-time nanny. Bobby's old room would be perfect for a part-time nursery. 
That's good. Give her a break for a few hours. Also, encourage her to start taking one class. When Bobby was born, I thought my life had ended. Suddenly, I had none. I remember the first time I held him thinking, what have I done? And I wanted him. We wanted him. But the life you know is suddenly gone and everything revolves around the baby. Even your private life shifts. Not that I didn't love my husband, but I guess that's the nature of it. We went through all of that. She didn't even have have our baby girl to cuddle. We worked it out, but it, it, it took time. I've got to be there for her. Carrie, that's her name. She'll need me whether she knows it or not. Right. You should go back in. Give it another try. I should. Uh, would, would you like to come in with me? I don't think so. She wouldn't want a stranger in the room. You're not. You're my friend. I don't know. You could watch our baby being born. I, I know it's not yours, but... Yeah. That... You'll regret it if... Um... If you think so, but make sure it's okay. Right. Well, uh, don't move. I'll be right back. Bobby? Oh, how wonderful. I'm so happy for you. I'll bet he is. Right, she said if I was there, I, I could bring a till of the hun if I wanted. Come on. She's crowning big time. Bobby, be there in a minute. I've got to meet a little someone first. I'll tell you later. Give my love to Carrie. Let's go. Thank you for this. I can't tell you how I always... It's such a miracle. Move it. I don't want to miss this miracle. Bet. Boy or girl. Shaolin, meet Attila. I'm so happy to be here. Whoa, that's one big head. I do love a happy ending. That was Pixie Frost as Greg and Kathy Flockton as Pam in Birth, Rights and Wrongs by Marge O'Neill Butler. So guys, what are your thoughts? What an interesting play. <laughs> well, the, the, the neat thing about these short plays, it's fascinating to see how much can get put into mm. a 10-minute play. Yes. Mm. The first time I was, you know, listening to it, I was like, okay, where's this, where's this going? Where's this going? But it taps into so many, I don't know, it just taps into so many sort of universal themes in such mm. a short such a short moment I yeah thought, I'm know? always interested how playwrights put us into scenarios you know when it's uh, you find yourself two characters in a scenario of like uh what's going to happen here you know a waiting room in a hospital like mm. what a fabulous 
situation mm -hmm. of it's almost like you know sitting in two air airplane seats of like two strangers yeah. who are forced yeah. to be in a situation together right mm -hmm. having their own experiences and then colliding together in some way yeah uh and so this was a, a unique scenario of how can we learn and grow from each other in in this sort of pressure cooker situation of you know because you don't know what's happening on the other side of those doors mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for those women who are in the process of giving birth you know and i love that marge gives us an opportunity for the woman who can't be with her own children experiencing mm -hmm. birth to come and experience that with this yeah new friend you mm -hmm. know unbelievable mm -hmm. what an unbelievable uh, opportunity for yeah. her to to have that experience and it and it does and as you know as you say it, it does conclude with a with a positive wait a minute yes there's opportunities here to to connect and maybe i could turn bobby's room into a nursery and she's going to need some help she may yes, not know it right. yet but she's going to need some help she's going to need some yeah help is that sense of okay i think i think something something positive is going to is going to come out of this mm. um i find it's the kind of play in the moment you listen to and you experience but it's one of those that you absolutely think about afterwards mm, and yeah. you start to use a little bit more on that moment and and that moment and then and then that moment you know so it's, a, it's just full of that kind of stuff that's interesting actually because it all transpires in a waiting room right yeah. <laughs> So you're forced by nature of the waiting room to just sort of sit quietly and reflect or whatever, <laughs> like, you know? Yeah. So yeah. you're confronted with your own stuff in a way, both yeah. individually and then by virtue of them connecting, to the two characters mm -hmm. connecting, mm -hmm. they are able to share those things. Yeah. It's like a, it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. It exposes as well what is a fundamental characteristic of the human of human beings is that we will bond in moments of great joy and moments of great sadness even with complete strangers because that's yeah. who pam is when he first walked into that room she uh, he has no idea who she is or why she's there or what she's done if anything and yet right. he's still because of his own moment of you know as you said before fear and anxiety he feels this desire to to bond with her I mean, maybe because he needs someone to talk to about what he's feeling Right. That's a great point. Well, when he has that interesting line, because she she says initially, well, she's not there. She's not welcome because you know Carrie doesn't want her to see her private parts yeah. and things like that. And then he's the one who says, "Why are you really here? Or why why aren't you really there?" Yeah. Like the specific exact line, but he yeah. he opens that and says, "What what? Why aren't you real?" And then she talks a bit more, you know, about about the other situations. So you're right. It is sort of like there's an inherent bonding that just starts to happen mm. uh, in those situations. I did I did go through a bit of a, a, a roller coaster with my feelings towards Greg when I first read it. When he first came out and he was just like, oh, I'm, I'm scared. She's yelling so much, blah, blah, blah. And I was that thinking, oh, shut up. She is going through birth. Stop moaning. And then obviously I went further in. I was like, oh, okay. This makes sense now. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Yes, because there is an explanation of, you know, he's absolutely justified because of the previous mm. situation with the pregnancy and mm -hmm. and just being afraid, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I felt the same way, Rachel. That was that's funny. Of like, <laughs> come, on, come on, buddy, you know, do the right thing. But it also must be quite debilitating for him as well, because as when when someone you you love is is in pain or in or in fear or both, 
your first instinct is to want to protect them from what is hurting them or fix whatever is causing them pain and he can't do that he can't mm. he can't air quotes fix what this issue right. and that obviously amalgamates to the fear that's going through him after what happened with his their last pregnancy right. Mm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting. It's an interesting little play. There's also she. Obviously, you want to discuss the characters as you see them, but then you also find yourself drawn to talking about the characters that you don't see. Like, it is is Carrie overreacting by refusing her mother-in-law access to seeing her grandchild being born because of something she said. Um, and it's also, you also have this thing at the back of your mind that Greg's wife is still back there giving birth and he stood here having this conversation. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's true, it's true. And is she really going to be okay with yeah. the stranger coming in? You know? Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. That's a good point. Yeah, and it also has a, as I say, it has a dark um, underline to it with uh, what happened with the previous pregnancy and the miscarriage mm -hmm. and stuff, but it's not it's not all about that. I say it does come back to, I say to use the cliche, the miracle of life rather than just focusing on the loss that he's already been through. Which mm -hmm. is why I like the fact that he does in the end, you know, pull his socks up and go, right, <laughs> I'm I'm going in there now. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. You know, and they also talk about how when a child comes into a couple's life, how that changes things. Mm. How the relationship between the couple can get can get changed because the priorities, oh, yeah. you know, and so it's all of those major, major themes, you know, that mm. that uh ha that have layers and layers and layers within themselves. Yeah, you know, that it's it's like you could yeah, you could you can listen to this play, see see the play, and you can just start like listening, like, boom, major I mean, this is the English teacher and me talking about <laughs> <laughs> it's like you just live bam theme bam theme bam and you can just break those down even more like where it's going that it really taps into a lot of human mm. uh themes you know yeah yeah it's a play that keeps on giving i don't think mm. you can if, if it was being performed in the theater i don't think it'd be a case of walking out and going well that was nice and that's all you say <laughs> Yeah, right. because you you do keep thinking on it, as you say, yeah. you know, at the beginning of your conversation yeah. here, is that you read it and or you hear it, and it's like okay, and then you just keep processing different components of it as the time as the day goes by. It's like oh wait, you revisit it, you know. Yeah, yeah. 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 I say the big three three for for plays for me are they need to entertain. Uh, they need to make you feel something, and they need they present uh, the want to talk talk about them. Mm. And this and this ticks all three boxes for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. So, uh, all in all, what are your thoughts towards the piece? I enjoy it. it. And it, yeah, it would be neat to see it done. And I would, <laughs> it's curious, I would, as you say, like to, you know, what happens if it's exploded out and you mm. really hear these different voices or, or mm. if it's exploded out and it remains a two character play, mm. yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. because now they're bonded in a way through the childbirth that they've experienced together. Yeah. You know what I mean? So does she want to see the child after? Like, what happens next, you know? Mm -hmm. 
it's interesting because it's like you're curious about what happened before and you're curious about what happens next mm. yeah. yeah and what's happening right now yeah that's it's interesting it does keep working at you this play mm. the more you think about it and talk about it the more you sort of want to think about it and talk about it mm -hmm. yeah it works on you i love that that's something that i love about a play does mm -hmm. it does it work on you in a way? Yeah. If that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Okay, we are almost out of time, but guys, thank you so much for being here. It's been absolutely wonderful to talk to you. You're both, I, I keep saying the word amazing. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's very well, sweet. We applaud you. you and what you've achieved absolutely. too. Absolutely, really Rachel. It's, it's amazing. Like, I just can't be done. It's yes. like creativity finds the way. If you want to do it, there's ways to, to get it done. And yeah. you never know. How it will reap the, you know, if we knew three years ago that we'd still be in the closet, <laughs> you know, the, the plays, you know, and we'd have met these people we've met in these connections, like, like, it's, it's yeah, very it's exciting. But let's say it's been absolutely fabulous to have you, and thank you so much for for being here. Thanks for having thank us, you. Rachel. No problem. And that brings our eighth episode of season two to an end. I hope you enjoyed the play and my wonderful chat with Rachel and Brendan as much as I did. Moving forward, we have two festively themed plays coming up starting in two weeks time on the 26th of November with a play by George Sapio, who you may remember from season one. As always, if you've enjoyed this podcast, then please make sure you like and follow our Facebook page or maybe share the Podbean page with someone you think could do with some theatrical shenanigans in their life. I, of course, look forward to being back with you in two weeks' time, but in the meantime, though, I've been Rachel Feeney-Williams, this is Theatrical Shenanigans, bringing down the curtain and saying, I hope you can join us next time. Theatrical Shenanigans was an RFW Scripts production, with music written and produced by Chris Cody.